0: Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. We're in our second week exploring these big ideas about sin and grace. Last week, we explored these hands-on metaphors about how sin works. Anybody here last week remember what we did? Yeah, it was pretty fun. In a way, we examined the metaphors by which sin gets communicated in Scripture. I wanted you to see that sin is a real thing. It's got a tangible quality to it. It's got a thingness to it. And I'm hoping that it helped you expand your ways of thinking about sin and its effects. I want us together to be specific and as accurate as possible about sin. Because specificity about sin helps us understand how God's grace helps us with sin. So this week, I want to do some weed whacking. Not actually, like there's no power tools involved in the sermon this week, but we need to whack away at a dubious idea called original sin. This idea has grown up over the centuries, and it has obscured some of the truth about the nature of sin and about the way that God heals it. The doctrine of original sin was invented in the 300s by Saint Augustine, who was a brilliant guy, a great and prodigious writer, and also thoroughly obsessed with his own sin. Augustine said that our ancestor Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, and that Adam's sin infected every subsequent human being there ever has been and there ever will be. There's a whole theory about the role of sperm in the process that will make you laugh and also cringe. Adam's sin, he said, alters our fundamental nature as human beings. You are sinful from birth. There's nothing you can do about it. Only Christ can fix your sin by dying on the cross, absorbing the punishment that you deserve for your sin. It's kind of nutty, actually. But this teaching took root in parts of the Catholic Church and then got picked up in earnest by our reformed ancestors, including Presbyterians. Any of you grew up in a church that taught original sin? Anyone? Yeah, more than a handful of you. We Presbyterians and reformed folks uh, developed a charming phrase to describe human beings. Totally depraved. Anyone, anyone heard that before? Sometimes. That totally might be an exaggeration. The effects of this teaching have been devastating, though. It's a complete misunderstanding about the way that sin enters into our lives. And like a physician, if you don't know what's causing an illness, you are very unlikely to cure it. I don't know if you remember the Dr. Seuss story about the Sneetches. Any of you looked at that story recently? Yeah, the Sneetch, it's, it's a fabulous story, right? In that story, there's a sleazy character named Sylvester McMonkey McBean, and he rolls into town, and he starts exploiting the Sneetch's insecurity about the stars on their bellies. He milks the insecure Sneeches out of all of their money by putting on and taking off their stars. And that's been the church We've told people that sin is your primary problem and the only way to fix it is to come in and get some Jesus, who's like a sin-off machine. I've never found original sin or substitutionary atonement to be convincing. But I want to assure you that our tradition has alternative ways of understanding sin and the saving event of Jesus' death and resurrection, and these ways feel much more true to the nature of sin and true to our own experience. So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. But to undo the spell of original sin, I need some help. We gotta go back to the beginning, to Genesis, to where it all began. This morning, Beth will be playing the narrator and God. I will be playing the character of Eve Mary Nona will be playing the character of Adam, and Margaret will be playing the character of the serpent.
1: From Genesis chapter 1. God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And God commanded, now you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you will die. Then God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Then God took one of his ribs and made it into a woman. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now the serpent was craftier than any other animal that God had made. And he said to the woman,
0: Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden?
1: And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of
0: the trees in the garden, but God said...
1: She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate, and then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. But God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to me, you gave to me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said,
0: The serpent tricked me,
1: and I ate. Then God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you among all animals. Upon your belly you shall go. And to the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbirth. And to the man, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life until you return to the ground for out of it you were taken you are dust to dust you shall return the wife was named eve because she was the mother of all living and god made garments of skin for adam and for eve and clothed them then god said See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. Holy word, holy wisdom. Thanks be to God.
0: I got a round of applause for our actors this morning. <laughs> All, right. All right. Good job, everyone. So what's this story about? Well, it begins with us in the garden, right? We've been put there by God to support and care for one another. Adam tends the garden, it's sweet and good. These two kids have the run of the place. It's young love, free, beautiful. There's just one caveat, right? We can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Fine, right? We can do that. Then along comes the snake, the sneaky serpent, the voice of temptation. As the snake slides up and starts talking to Eve, I hope you notice how slippery their speech is. They stretch their memory of what it was that God told them. They do what we do when we have a rule that chafes. We look for loopholes. Eve is convinced and she eats from the tree. After all, the tree is good to eat. It's a delight to the eyes for crying out loud. It makes a person wise what's not to like. She eats some and gives it to Adam. Then what? Well, they don't die, first of all, as God warns they will, but that's a story in a sermon for another day. Instead, their eyes are opened. What's that mean? It's very much a metaphor for an awakened conscience. These two now know the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong. They have become human beings. This is a story about our moral awakening. All of us have to make this essential and difficult move from childlike naivete to moral responsibility. This is a story about you and I growing up about the pain and the loss and the burden that comes with the gift of growing up. Yes, there's sin in the story. There's plenty of sin in the story. Augustine at least got that part right. Sin is disobeying the will of God, and Adam and Eve both sin. But what we get from them is not our sinful nature we get the proclivity to sin. But this proclivity, I hope you see, is also embedded in the holy and paradoxical reality of our moral freedom. We are free beings, you and I. We are free. Our eyes are open. We can discern and choose between right and wrong, and the condition of this freedom is that sometimes we choose what is wrong. Did you notice how God responds when we sin? First, it should be noted that God does not revoke their freedom. God chastens them and burdens them. The snake has to crawl, the woman has labor pains, the man will sweat his whole life just to eat. When you and I disobey God's will, life gets harder, sometimes much harder. But what God does not do is curse Adam and Eve. God does not condemn them to sin, nor does God abandon them. Even as Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden into the world of hard moral choices, God takes care of them. God clothes them. There's a reading that even says that the closing of the gates of the garden was an act of love, not punishment. God knows we weren't ready yet to eat from the tree of life that allows us to live forever. God knows we have some growing up left to do before that fruit should be ours. The point is that after Adam and Eve sin, after we sin, God does not curse us nor abandon us. God goes with us. It is my opinion, it is my experience, that when I read the story of Genesis from the beginning, when when we read the creation story from the beginning, what we see there is a picture of God who creates human beings in God's very own image and calls us good. What you read there is a God who places us in the midst of a gorgeous creation in which all things are designed and intended to work together in harmony. Read the rest of scripture from Genesis forward and what you see is a God who is constantly, constantly caring for us, reaching for us, extending love, extending us grace. There is nothing that we did in the garden and nothing that we do today that changes God's fundamental disposition to love you into the fullness of of your created being. The theologian Matthew Fox said that human beings are not defined by our original sin, but by God's original blessing. Let me say that again. We are not defined by our original sin. We are defined by God's original blessing. Original blessing is our inheritance And it is God's response to our sin. The great gift of my life, and I'm sure many of yours, is being able to be the parent of children. My kids are like every other kid. Like all of yours, they make good choices and some other kinds of choices. But the one message that we always try to convey, and I hope the message that you convey to your kids and your grandkids and to all of our kids, convey with our words and with our deeds is that growing up is hard and it's full of hard choices and sometimes you will choose the good and sometimes you will choose other things. But no matter what you do with your freedom, one thing always stays the same, you are beloved. That's who our children are. It's who all of us is. We are God's beloved. And that's what we say when we come to this font. All of us, when we are baptized in the Spirit, we know that it's not the end of our encounter with sin that we'll, we'll meet sin along the way in the course of our life. But no matter what we choose, no matter how we use the freedom that we have been given, we are God's beloved child. God is pleased with us. That was true in the Garden of Eden. It is still true where we live, east of Eden. Our inheritance is an original blessing. It is grace upon grace upon grace. Let the church say, Amen.